0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, today is a little bit of all three in one. At the end of last year, we were very excited to have on the gents from Valhalla Games, and I'm gonna talk to them in just one second, because they created a resource for Bolt Action that had not been seen before. It was a campaign book, but it wasn't made by Warlord. And it dug into a battle that not too many of us knew uh, that took place as part of the, the Battle for Sicily. And, of course, we're going to talk about that today. That Kickstarter was extremely successful, and it funded. And the Battle for primisol Bridge is out in the world now. People are planning events around it. People are playing games using the missions found in it. And it is a wonderful example Of what you can do if you really put some effort into it. And these guys did because that book was three years in the making. Now that the book is out, I thought it would be a good time to invite our friends back on to talk about their incredible success. And since Moab is coming up later this week, I thought it would be a great time, since both of them are playing, to talk a little bit about how they are preparing. For one of australia's big events ladies and gentlemen without further ado i would like to invite my good buddies dan and rex from valhalla games back to cast dice gentlemen welcome
1: hi brad hi listeners and now viewers of cast dice as well it's great to be back
2: yeah hi brad how you going um it's good to uh good to see your face um it's uh good to see uh, yeah, you're hiding down behind the mic instead of uh, instead of in your in your track pants and down at the beach doing a podcast like you used to be. That's right. That's why I hide behind these cute lights
0: and I wear a lot of black and I, I wear a black chair. It just uh, it's smoke and mirrors. I'm just blending into my background because, uh, yeah, my skin, however, glows in the dark. So uh, once we start doing these <laughs> things, the only thing you can, you can see is my hands and my head. But, uh, you know. Hopefully, we'll do something else one of these days. But gentlemen, let's talk about Primisal Bridge. Wow. I mean, you shared with me a document of some of the proposed page layouts and some of the information and some of the photos that were going to appear in this book. Even though I'd seen that, even though I'd listened to your podcast episodes on YouTube, where you dug into the battle in depth, even though I did some reading on the battle so we could prepare for the episode where you came on before, I was unprepared with the quality of what actually arrived in the mail. My God, is that a beautiful book. I know it's probably awkward that I'm blowing sunshine in your general direction, but I legitimately (laughs) have to say a giant hats off to you! It is one of the best bolt action related books slash bolt action books there is, and it's not even made by Warlord. Well done!
1: Oh, thanks, Brad. It's um, yeah, well, that that's a uh, that's a big compliment, and um, yeah, we're pretty proud to to get um, pretty good feedback from everybody else that we've uh, that has uh, purchased the book so far or has actually seen the book so far as well for review purposes too. Um yeah, it was a long time in the making. And um, I think it's very gratifying to hear people say that for, you know, two guys that sort of working out at home, that it's uh, far and beyond what they certainly expected from us, but it's up to um, far and beyond sort of a lot of the commercial quality books out there that they found as well. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, I think, Rex's uh, polish on the, on the graphic design front. So Rex, um, over to you. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, thank you, Brad. We um, we we did aim, I guess, to to make something that was that was highly playable. We aimed to make something that was uh, really historically accurate and and drew attention to uh, to that particular battle. But we also wanted to make something that was really beautiful, um, and we wanted to make something that was almost a a coffee table book. So you could, you know, even if you weren't, your family weren't gamers or whatever, you could leave it on the coffee table and. And um, people would walk in and say, oh, "What's this about? Pick it up and just and just look through and hopefully drool over Dan's miniatures um, mm-hmm. and some of the terrain that we did together and um, and and the hours and and uh, of labour and blood, sweat and some tears as well that went into into the layout work. We now know why people don't normally go to that depth with uh, graphic design work for a wargaming book because oh my gosh it was uh it, it was a big job but we're we're really um we're really happy with the feedback and um you know just having those those big images of the miniatures you know, real close-up high resolution images of the miniatures i guess our idea is to be able to just and get people enthused about to paint more and you know the usual cycle you know you read you play you paint you, you read more and you get more into history and you paint more and and, uh, and so the world of wargaming goes round.
0: I do want to draw a couple of underlines and sort of loop back a little bit for just a taste of the last episode. Now, if you have not listened to the Cast Dice episode where we previewed this Kickstarter going live, we go into a fair bit of depth about the battle itself, the units involved, what is expected in the book. And you guys go into a lot of depth but i do kind of want to come back to for those who maybe haven't listened to this or have maybe listened to it when it came out last year it's a quick reminder now dan this was sort of a passion project for you i know that on your youtube show you guys did a series of two videos where you laid out the battle and you talked about you know all the parts And what was great about that battle or not that battle so much as the videos about that battle was that Dan, you clearly had done tons of research and Rex was the audience member who was interacting with you in that he did not necessarily know about the battle of Primusol Bridge and you guys (laughs) um, just being able to talk through that. It was a really fresh and fun way to find out about the information because As a listener, I was sitting there because I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure of how the Sicily campaign had played out at that point. I know much more about it now, but Rex was asking the questions that I was sitting there as the audience member going, oh, what about this? And it was a really fun listen. Um, Dan, tell us again, how did this come to be and how did you sell Rex on this formatting battle, because as someone who formats things, ouch, it is amazing, and it would have taken
1: a lot of work. Yeah, for sure, so um, I'm an ex-member, well, there's no such thing as an ex-paratrooper, Brad, you're either a paratrooper, or you're not, um, right. but uh, I'm now no longer in the Parachute Regiment, so I'm in the New Zealand Army now, um, but when in the Parachute Regiment, uh, one of the battle honors there is Primusol Bridge, and so whilst learning about regimental history, um, we learned about the uh, the battle and uh i guess um desperate stakes involved and the sacrifice involved and uh, i really um sort of slotted that away in my memory banks as a as a something that i thought i'd uh, revisit later in my wargaming life um i was on a lot of operations at the time and i sort of put a bit of a hiatus around actually um creating figures and stuff like that i didn't have anywhere to store them i was in the barracks in the parish regiment so um i was having a bit of a hiatus for wargames but i slotted away in the old memory banks and, uh, yeah, a few years ago, I um, uh, had started collecting a uh, British Airborne Army, thanks to Rex, <laughs> who actually um, acquired it for me. Isn't that right, Rex?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. War and Peace Games. Yeah. Off we went and uh, got, mm-hmm. uh, got Dan a, an army on the last day of a visit when he came to, uh, to Australia. And, uh, here, take this away with you. See what you can do with this. And uh, so it began.
1: That's right, yeah. I've been playing a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy wargaming at that stage, and uh, was, uh, I was um, tempted to get back into historical World War II, which was my original first love. I've been playing wargames now for about 42 years. Again, thanks to Rex, getting out a ruler one day and putting uh, some some distances on it on a piece of masking tape to play with my little green plastic army men, a little grey plastic army men. So yeah, so the time was right. Um, so I guess I got this British Airborne Army and started quickly assembling it. And uh, straight away, what sort of a battle did I want to assemble it for? I based it for a, uh, a larger campaign for around Arnhem, as in literally the basing of the army. So I've got like rubble and stuff on there. But but the mm-hmm. thoughts about what I could do with them while it was still a fledgling sort of army came to mind. And the first battle that uh, that I thought about was actually Primisole Bridge. Got it out of the old memory banks, dusted it off, and um, started doing some research. And uh, yeah, I guess I organised to play a game with Rex. Um, we can look back on our YouTube channel, um, Valhalla Games YouTube channel. You can sort of see preparations behind the scenes. The first game, I think, where I actually uh, videoed the preparation of the of the terrain for that that game and how I was going to lay it on the battle mat. Um, it's presented as a behind the scenes sort of uh, uh, video for the viewer. And then I took it over to Rex's place, and we created our very first um, war games. Um, our battle report for our YouTube channel. And at that time, I remember saying to Rex as I left, "Ah, oh, I wonder if we could do something more with this, Rex. I sort of planted the seed, didn't I, Rex?
2: Yeah, he's, he's good like that. He's like, uh, he doesn't actually force you or even encourage you to do anything, Dan. But he's very, very tricky and very skillful. I think it might be his army leadership training. All he does is just maybe places a rock, in the river, just to divert the flow of the water, he didn't do anything. The water did it. And then, before you know it, you've signed up for a three-year project doing a, uh, a campaign book.
1: <laughs> so, of course, Rex chose, therefore, of his own free will, to investigate further the Battle for Primrose Bridge, um, which resulted in him asking me, "Oh, maybe we could do a couple of uh, a couple of you know um, historical." Uh, bit of a historical background on this battle. So I said, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll do one of those, but of course it became the two part uh, mm-hmm. historical narrative that, uh, was posted on a YouTube channel and Rex was hooked. Then I had him, I said, what yep, if we add another, what if we add another couple of battles, Rex? And what if this became something even bigger? So what do you think of that, Brad?
0: I love it. I love it. If I had that superpower of <laughs> being able to place a rock, I would, uh, I would do less things myself and I'd have more people help me. But I just want to take a second uh, to talk about Rex's work here because as we talked about before with the layout, I mean, every page in this book is gorgeous. The The photography is next level. The terrain that is featured in it is spectacular. But you also have... Um, Everything, as I said, everything's laid out really well, and the the photos are crystal clear. So, as you guys mentioned before, and it's something that you said on the previous episode, I think you both um, helped one another in that you know you have the painting, you have the terrain building, and you have the technical skills between the two of you, and you have really knocked it out of the park as far as what appears on the page and what, you know, what visual treats you get as you open the book. Um, now, I know you did have help with the famous Fallstrom Jager plane. We talked about that on the last episode. But can you talk about the collaboration between the two of you and how that led to what ended up on the page? Because that is such an
2: integral part of
0: what makes this book what it is
2: in terms of it like a general pick a page brad is what you're saying and then and then how did we get there kind of thing
0: yeah like who was the yeah. more predominant miniature painter slash terrain builder and yes i know the answer to this question and who did more sure. of the photography and layout and that sort of thing etc etc etc
2: well i can take this one that way uh maybe you could mute dan so he can't um he can't argue with me <laughs> if i uh if i say anything he doesn't agree with but um so dan painted all the miniatures for the entire book Um, first thing out of the way so my gosh what a what a job that was painting them all up um so well done to dan for that um Mm. i did probably most of the terrain or some of the terrain dan did some of the terrain as well um but in terms of the layout so i'm the guy with the technical skills um so i'm the guy with the big monitor and the and, and the nice pc and and the software um but there's a lot more to that a lot more to capturing something and making something look beautiful and you know, than that. And so with that one, that's on the screen now, Brad, um, obviously for those who are listening, podcast, uh, audio only, you're going to have to absolutely come and check out Brad's, uh, YouTube podcast. But, um, that particular image there that you're seeing on the screen there, and I'll just describe it for the, anybody who's getting the audio version only on the way to work or whatever. Um, so you've got uh, some German false coming over a rise, um down into a sort of an olive plantation um, it's at twilight it's at dawn um or you know probably dawn actually now thinking about it historically mm-hmm. um and there's uh and there's german uh there's british powers there hiding waiting to spring the ambush and you can see the 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 silhouetted uh german fortune on the on the ridge line there with the the, the sky behind them and so that that's you know, we think that's a pretty nice image. We're pretty happy with mm-hmm. that. Um, but of course, there's so many components to that. So, firstly, you've got to have nicely painted. You've got to have nicely painted images. So, thanks, Dan, for that. Then you've got to have nice terrain if you want to be able to generate an image like that. And don't get me wrong, we we just throw down a game mat and 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 roll some dice like everybody else. But obviously, for a book, it, it's the next level. Um, and then then you've got the you know, then you've got the terrain, which I built, but you've got the trees, which Dan assembled out of some uh, some GW trees there, with, made to look less fantasy and more realistic, and surprisingly, actually, very, very realistic, uh, if you mm-hmm. actually look back into the um, uh, the history of the, the olive tree plantations um, in the Mediterranean, ancient olive trees. Um, but then there's the next layer on top of that, which is, well, you can plonk the camera down. And then you've got everything, but how high are you going to have it? You know, you, mm-hmm. you want a camera a, f- a foot above the ground. Do you want it at, at eye level? Do you know, do you want to pick up the foreground? Do you want to pick up the background? And in that particular one there, what we did is it was a, a real collaborative effort and you're probably not going to believe this. It probably it, it demonstrates how, how sick Dan and I really are. But what we did is we set up a, a zoom call between Australia and New Zealand because Dan's in Australia and I'm in New Zealand. and I. Piped the live output from the camera from the HDMI output of the digital camera uh, into a video capture box and then sent that to Dan by way of a Zoom call. And then Dan could actually see, and I can see, Brad, you're you're wanting to interject there because you're actually going to tell us we're crazy, aren't you?
0: That okay, as someone who spends literally years trying to figure out how to do this (laughs) podcast as a visual mini medium. What you're describing is next level madness. I, I, (laughs) that's, that's awesome. I love it.
1: It's, uh, it gets even madder than that actually, because, um, so I'm sitting there, we make appointments, uh, online meetings to, to meet up, like say at lunchtime, I'm sitting at work, um, with my uh, mobile phone hotspotting my laptop. I'm sitting there <laughs> and we've got like an hour to set up this photo. And Rex is going, Rex going, right. Okay, then I think it's good. I'm like, oh, third guy back in the background. Okay, third guy back. No, other third guy. Okay, move him left. No, no, army left, not Air Force left. Move him left a little bit. Stop, stop. Move him back. No, no, no. I want more of his left hand side showing. Okay, because there's also rifle. there's
2: a delay there's quite a latency yes. on, on those zoom calls as well so <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah
1: so it's um it's actually very interesting because rex has all the uh, um has a lot of the well all the technical competencies uh, i surprise myself every now and then with what i came out with um technically but i have the, the vision of what something should look like and it's actually quite Strange how many of those visions made it exactly onto the paper, thanks to Rex's amazing Mm -hmm. ability to technically make that happen. Mm -hmm. And my ability to just somehow, an analog style, just bashed out and just draw a sketch map, getting it to him to get it 90% set up before we got on those calls. And how much that vision sort of from the very first time I wrote a scenario, the very first time I envisaged a, a picture. Um, a photograph i envisaged half of these pictures like a year before didn't i rex
2: yeah absolutely and although you know i i obviously contributed to that and some some photos Hugely. i usually myself in that as Hugely. well but um if dan has a vision brad if he has a vision yeah mm-hmm. you don't mess with that vision <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't I don't know about because, that but um I couldn't have brought because, it to real, it's, I couldn't have brought it to reality right. otherwise but yeah yeah
2: because he's right that's that's what it comes down to because Dan's yeah. Dan's actually the artist um and yeah. he can see I don't know if he knows all the rule of thirds and all the you know the Fibonacci spirals and what have you and all that, but he can look at something and he can say, you know that's not quite right, or that's perfect, or or whatever. And I said to him one time, "How come you can look at that? That's an obvious improvement that what you've made by moving that guy one inch to the left. Why can you see that and I couldn't in this thing?" And he said, "Well, I am a trained observer." Um, and you know, he chatted a little bit about about his stuff in the army. You know, you go out in the field and you, you know, you're looking for things and there's tricks and skills to being uh, to being able to see stuff in the in the field, especially when there's guys shooting at you. Uh, you want to be able to see them before they shoot. So you were. So let me
0: get this right. Dan is the trained RD observer, is out in the field in Australia, gets the headset, calls in the heat from New Zealand. Everything's all set, sorted. That's. I think yep. that's how that works. Yep, that's it. Have very bolt action. I love it. Let's talk about the maps. The maps that appear in this book are awesome. If we actually look at the layout, they're almost a comic sepia feel to some of the photos. And they're digitally created. They are fantastic. As someone who writes missions, I absolutely adore the way you've done your battle maps for this book. Did you create those from scratch or did you
2: use a program for that? And is this a trade secret? So this is—I don't think it's a trade secret, is it, Dan?
1: No, it's not a trade secret. I think uh, let's give credit where credits due. So, Rex, you can talk about this one.
2: So, the book was progressing, and we had the dead, we had the Kickstarter deadline, um, and I've got a lot to do. Right, a lot, a lot to do, mm-hmm. and I'm staying up till you know till one a.m. and two a.m. And one time, Dan and I met in the middle because he's an early riser and being in the army, he gets up at four thirty or something like that. I'm I'm still awake. We're able to Out. have a uh, a bit of a chat. The time zones helped us a little bit, but um, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to do it justice with with the battle maps. Um, so what we actually did is this is the one part in the entire book. So Dan, Dan, and I between us we wrote all the content, we took all the photos, um, apart from. Uh, the plane we talked about um, in the last episode, um, all mm-hmm. the miniatures are ours, all the trains ours. Um, but the battle maps, we actually uh, commissioned. We had them done by somebody else. And I'm glad I did because I don't think that, I, I mean, I'm sure I could have turned out something nice, but oh my gosh, I don't think I could have turned out something that nice. They're outstanding. Um, and the person now, uh, you have to excuse me, uh, Roc- Rocco Espin um Mm. a spanish lady um so and she doesn't speak a lot of english either um but she was able to capture dan's dan's vision from the drawings that he provided to her um and provide you know with a with a few adjustments exactly what we wanted um and then i received the raw images i put them into the into the editing program and then overlaid all the numbers and the diagrams and the Ah, uh, the dotted lines of the deployment areas and all of that stuff. So, but yeah, we didn't we didn't do the battle maps uh, battle mats, and I'm glad we didn't, because the fant the fantastic the end result outstanding. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I was flipping through the book. That was one of the first
0: things that hit me. Besides the obvious, you know, gorgeous photography and layout was just that's amazing. We need more of that and more books. But another thing, of course, is the actual photographs of the close-ups of the models that you've snuck into the corners of pages, besides the big, beautiful spreads throughout the book. Again, Dan, I'm assuming those are yours. Wow. Gorgeous models.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Yep. They, they're all mine. Um, and uh, yeah, they, uh, I guess we sort of thought long and hard about what, what models to use. And I have to say as well that um, I got some assistance. Um, We got some um, uh, advanced release models from offensive miniatures in the UK. The paratrooper, which we're looking at there now on page 24, um, with Mm -hmm. the collapsed canopy, that's a two-part model. Um, So that that canopy comes with um, the the paratrooper that's uh, on the ground collecting his canopy in, but it can also be set there with a a parachute um, uh, equipment a container as well and stuff like that, but also later on in the book um, you can see things like British Airborne handcarts and stuff like that which they've not yet released. And they were very kind and uh, and being very supportive for the book. And we mentioned them at the back along with yourself, Brad, and and uh, some other key members of our um, of our community that really got behind the book. And these guys just got us. Uh, Dave and Jackie got us these these miniatures in advance. Once we knew what we were up to, and it was really great to have them in there because um, they just mm-hmm. they just filled the the narrative of the uh, the descriptions um perfectly
0: now we're looking at a page and sorry i did say audio listeners that we wouldn't refer to s- slides but throughout this book there are missions of very uh, varying complexity there are ones that look exactly like missions you would get out of the bolt action rulebook. there are missions that give you specific units that you should use if you're going to recreate those conflicts on the tabletop and then there are missions that have several additional specific rules and tables that you can roll through. Again, depending on the scenario itself and the situation, you really have given players a lot of different ways to play these battles on the tabletop, which is really nice to see because sometimes when you open a book and you start looking at the missions, you know the way that the missions are laid out don't always work for maybe your particular style of gameplay and the missions in this book really do have a nice variety. Um, and I think that was a really nice touch and something that I didn't know until I actually read through the book after I had it in my hands.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit. And then perhaps Dan, cause um, you are the architect behind the missions, but that particular one there, that's scenario one. And um one of the things that I love about that scenario is there's only just a very few guys in there and, and some of the rules, um, sometimes, I mean, we love to throw miniatures down on the table, you know, a thousand points aside and get on with it to our game, um, six turns and, you know, and we're done. Um, but sometimes you want something just a little bit different and this is a small game, which is a lead in, and it actually has impact into the next game so that, so that, the repercussions of this carry on to the next. And those these first three scenarios are all tied together like that. Um, but it's almost like a it uses bold action rules, of course, but it's almost like a different game altogether mm-hmm. in that you have these, these weird things that, 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 happen because you're dropping into unknown territory. You don't know what you're going to encounter. And then, and then all of a sudden you encounter some friends um, or you encounter some foes or you, you, know, you encounter this or, you know, and, and, it's a lot different to just having that known quantity of a thousand guys aside. but Dan, mm-hmm. did you want to talk a little bit more about this scenario?
1: This is- yeah, I, th- I think the uh, the format of the book which is a, a real zoomed in focus on a particular battle, really supports a campaign um, more so than some of the campaign books out there for different systems which say they're a campaign, but actually the battles in there or in the engagements aren't really linked in with each other. Like, mm-hmm. They therefore don't therefore don't affect each other as much. Whereas our zoomed in uh, look at the Battle for Primusile Bridge allows us to really have the knock-on effect for um, uh, the effects that you've, you've created or suffered um, in winning or losing that battle, that engagement, um, flows on to the next part of the, the next engagement within that greater battle, and you've got some benefits from it or some minuses from that. Um, and it also throws in there some historical um, factors as well. And uh, yes, yeah, so we come up with basically progressing along that timeline um, as it did in the actual thing. And people have really given us really positive feedback on how much um, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the engagements and the scenarios um, link into each other and how much they really appreciate it. They feel like they're really playing a campaign. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh,
0: and I also like that not all of them do link. So if you want to pick it up somewhere in the middle, you can do that as well. Of course, you could always just pick up a scenario and say i'm not using the rules from the previous one but yeah great stuff
1: that's correct and actually the first one um in particular we've suggested could be good for uh for any sort of solo play, because there was mm-hmm. so much randomness involved in the actual chaotic drop, and people, uh, the British airborne and the Fallschirmjäger trying to identify each other in the darkness and mm-hmm. gather the stores and the equipment stores and stuff like that, it really is lends itself heavily towards solo play because it's that the random factors in there were real on the battlefield at the time.
0: We as bolt action players have talked about for a little while is wanting something solo play. And you even specifically say it in a box that is on another page that, you know, how you could play a particular scenario using solo play explicitly, which is wonderful for those of us who love bolt action and sometimes don't always have an opponent to set up across the table
2: some of the scenarios too, that uh, you never, you nearly never got scenario 11. Um, that was a, uh, that was the final one. And Dan was trying to work out what to do with that. And I think that's one of the, one of the best scenarios in the whole book, but you'll have to buy the book to find out why. But um, mm-hmm. the one particular uh, scenario that I like is scenario four, um, which is, Essentially, the first engagement. Have I got that correct, Dan? Four, that was the one that I that, w- that I play tested a lot. Um, and that yeah, was... the
1: seize seize the bridge scenario. It's the actual seizing of the bridge by yep. the uh, British paratroopers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was early on in the battle, and um, you know we've got you know guys on each side fight who's going to win kind of thing we've got that the small one which could be solo play we've got weird deployments and how am i going to puzzle my way through that but i particularly like um scenario 4 because you could play that scenario 5 times and not not be, almost like a like an old game of doom or quake you know back from the mm-hmm. maybe i'm showing my age here you know you you work your way through the the labyrinth and then all of a sudden you click and you go, this is the way to win that scenario, and yeah. it has that that replayability um, where you can sort of go, okay, well if I if I came in on the eastern side, that might no, that's not going to work. Next you know next Thursday night yep. or whatever, um, play it again. If I came in on the west, no, that's not going to work. What about if I ran these guys straight down the middle and I supported them with this, you know, and you and you need to sort of work out how your playing style how you need to amend your playing style to fit the problem, mm. the scenario and the terrain and the enemy. Um, and that's something that um, that I really, really enjoyed and it really gave it a, a good historical bent. You don't just necessarily turn up with a thousand points aside and play the same way that you won the last four games. You have to work out the puzzle to work out who's going to win. And, uh, and, and we love that.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's what makes it more replayable. Right. It's not that you're going to just play it once and go, okay, that was fine. It's the challenge of it. And that makes this also really exciting because, you know, sometimes you open a book and you're like, I might play that once or twice. But the fact that you have to sort of puzzle your way through this one a little bit with some of the scenarios really value adds and makes this a really cool book to play through, which I love.
1: Ah, oh, glad you think so, and we've had some really positive feedback at that one because um, we've dictated uh, this one instead of a, a points match. That particular scenario, like some of them in there, we've dictated exactly what was sort of on the battlefield at the time mm-hmm. on that portion of the battlefield. Um, and uh, and when it gets down to level, so if you're paying bolt action, for instance, we've actually given um, each group that Captain uh, Ran, the uh, the British Paratrooper um, Commander that that seized the initiative and and going to assault the bridge at the time, um, he broke his group down into three groups. So those three groups actually have different uh, national characteristics uh, if you're playing bolt action. So you've got the opportunity to play to those strengths and keep those um, those guys because they were selected on the basis of their weapons and their their ability to either assault or give covering fire. and and you can lead them into those positions of players' characteristics. But if the if the plan all goes terribly, Pete Tong, and uh, you've got to assault with them, well, you've not got those national characteristics in a um, in a beneficial way. But you just got to mm-hmm. fix bayonets, plenty of smoking up the guts with them. So yeah, okay. you've got those opportunities there. And it's a it's a the nuances in the actual victory conditions for that uh, mission are very important as well in the way that the uh, the Italians uh, the Italians have got more dice in the bag or more uh, activation chits if you're playing another game system and not bolt action. Mm -hmm. But so they've got a chance to, uh, they should always pretty much have later dice out of the bag based on the, you know, law of averages probability. Um, But the British, if they capture one objective, one end of the bridge and then are um, contesting the other, then the Italians will capitulate. So it's up to the Italians, therefore, because the the uh, the activation chit or activation dice um, mechanic, and they should have later dice, so they've got to throw themselves into an assault to try and get the British out of that position where they're um, they're contesting that other end of the bridge, knock them off. Otherwise, they will lose by capitulation, just like they did in the real thing. It's awesome.
0: I love it. Well, one of the other things that you have included in this book is a new. Uh, selector for people to play with particularly brigade 151 can you talk about this because uh, this is really well put together and what's clever is as you go through it tells you what people can use in the scenario in certain scenarios so that if you're playing to match it to a scenario
2: your selections change well dan dan's the architect behind well i guess we both did it but one of the drivers behind it was we have a lot of very very similar army lists and we didn't want to get into a situation where we had to have 20 pages worth of army lists that were almost identical but Dan do you want to talk about your thought process a little bit on that
1: yeah sure and it really does come from exactly what Rex has brought up there so we have a battle throughout the various engagements of that battle there were subtle but um, very important changes to the order of battle that was available in that part of the battlefield, based linked into the scenarios. So, for instance, um, an airborne force that was uh, on the features overlooking the bridge, the Johnny features, um, they therefore captured some uh, some uh, some machine guns off the uh, and actually a light howitzer off the Italian defenders there. However, for various reasons, um, range and the fact they had no communications of the bridge, they couldn't bring it to bear on the bridge. However, back on the bridge, the uh, British defenders there, the British airborne defenders there, had only one Vickers machine gun and one mortar available to them. But then they also captured some uh, Elephantino guns. So as the as the uh, the battle progresses, various things become available or unavailable Mm -hmm. as they were destroyed by the enemy. So we've got a uh, a bit of a matrix um, to try and describe visually uh, in Mm -hmm. in a word format. We've got a matrix by scenario of what becomes available um, to the player by scenario. And sometimes um, in the case of 151 Brigade, and one of the characteristics of 151 Brigade is that it's pretty unique in the fact there was uh, all three battalions in that brigade were all made up of Durham Light infantry. And the way they behaved during that battle, the way that the soldiers were led during that battle was um, differed between the different battalion attacks. And uh, so we've reflected that in suggestions to the players, um, how they would relate that to their command ability of their officers um, based on the way that they were led on the historical engagement. And uh, for bolt action, that's simply reflected in veterancy of the units. So we've limited um, the breakdown of the units. So we've swung uh, the units in regard to um, selection of officers' veterancy. And also the veterancy of the units underneath them so that in some engagements, they'll be swung towards inexperienced and regular and in other engagements will be swung towards regular and veteran. And um, 151 Brigade is a pretty senior brigade. Um, They did have significant um, reinforcements, however, in both officers and men, and that affected how they actually performed the battlefield. And so that veterancy has become um, important flowing on into the actual selector. Um, it reflects the real thing and it reflects the um, the friction on the battlefield and the decision processes and how they were carried out by the soldiers at the time.
0: Yeah. I'm blown away at the detail that you've put into this. It is really outstanding. Thanks, um, Brett. I, I mean, I, We have not talked about here, but it is something we talked about at length last time. There are QR codes within this book that you can scan and you can watch battle reports or you can find out more information about the particular parts of the battle as you go through the book, which again is a is a technological feature unseen in a bolt action book previous to this. The level of detail that you guys put into this book is outrageous. And if you have not seen this book in person. I strongly recommend you go to ValhallaGames.net and you look about getting yourself a copy. Guys, you clearly have knocked it out of the park. I am gushing over here with how much I love this book. But I can't help but notice, can't help but notice in the upper right-hand corner, it says book (laughs) one.
1: That's right. I'm hoping it for does. a book 2,
0: but I understand that it was a bit of a Herculean task to create this. Were there anything I mean clearly you you've learned a lot of lessons as you've gone through this. From a production standpoint or from a creation standpoint, is there a book 2 and if so, what were the big lessons you took out of book 1 that you're looking forward to implementing? with book 2 knowing that no plan survives contact with the enemy but <laughs> clearly we learn from our experiences.
2: Do you want to take the first part Dan uh, about if there is another one coming and then I'll maybe chat a little bit about some of the technical lessons that we learned.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to I'm going to take a little bit of both, but I'll so there there will be another book coming. Absolutely. Um we hope another yet another book of more after that as well. So I've started work. Um, I've got a bit of a short list of uh, theatres and battles that I'd love to work through. And obviously, things come along and they stimulate your interest to do some historical research mm-hmm. into further ones as well. Um, I've got one at the moment that I won't, uh, I won't divulge entirely what it is. Um, I can tell you that there are air, sea, and land elements, and it mm. is uh, in World War Two. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting more of my thoughts out on paper and seeing where that takes us. Um, there have been other ideas as well, and I have to say I've got a bit of a rigorous sort of process now of working out um, if something's going to be suitable or not, and it really involves the very first step is actually fleshing it out historically. Um, you know, you can be inspired by a movie or whatever the mm-hmm. case might be or someone recounting something, but then getting into the historical detail and then going, this is this interesting enough? Um I mean, just by the variety of the forces you see involved um, during this book, during the Primusel Bridge engagement. um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can, you know, you can see in there that all the different types of forces involved, that that variety makes it really exciting. And not everything passes that litmus test. Have we got a different change of environments, theatres, terrain, uh, forces involved? So to me, it's got to be something really stimulating like that or a real progression during the battle that's going to make it exciting.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The other thing is, um, you asked if there's anything that we've learned. So, I'm going to before Rex goes on about technically what he's learned, I've learned one thing. So, remember when we came up with the kickstarter and we said um very honestly at the time, we said that, you know, it was 90% finished. Well, I've I've learned that uh, 90% finished will actually the last 10% of the book <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is is really really time consuming, and and that was completely honest. We were ninety percent finished, but I tell you what, that last ten percent is the grind. It is really where the metal meets the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to hand hand combat with uh with creating a book, what do you think, Rex?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we did. Uh, you know, we had a lot of we had a lot done, but we learned some stuff, especially technically. Um, one thing is, you know, I, I've taken. Almost all the images. Um, One was uh, taken. One of the best images in the whole book was taken by uh, uh, Dan's lovely fiancée. So that's right. um, Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Justine. Yes,
2: but um, we started out, and I thought my images were pretty good, right? And you've got some of them in there, Brad, and they and they do look pretty good. But this there's this thing in printing called uh, the 100. 150 dpi rule um so you've got to have a certain resolution um, to be able to be good in the book and that was fine until you start zooming in so you take an image of a 28 millimeter figure and you zoom and you you take that take that photo and then you start zooming in um, and you want that photo to be four inches high on on the page and um, that requires a lot more technically than what we had initially started out when we first started three years ago started taking photos mm-hmm. um, so we had to learn techniques and and also that front to back uh, in focus thing so one of the the later books in the well, the, the later game tables in the book is our realistic premise bridge image and that is a nine foot game table okay and if you want to take a photo of some miniatures or a tank on a nine foot (laughs) game table and you want it to be in focus all the way from the front of that game table to the back of that game table. And you want it to be 150 DPI, which is required for the, for the print to be able to, to get it out. That is a task. And so we learned that.
0: Yeah. That sounds painful as someone who has a camera that's pointing at his head and it took a long time (laughs) to get it to focus on one big head. Let alone <laughs> that resolution. That's that's you. You are more than a man for me, sir. That is outrageous. Yeah, and looking at the photos too. When you look at some of the the production in some of these books that are put out by larger companies, we take it for granted. We we say, "Oh, that's a great photo. Look at this. Look, you know all these." As you guys said earlier, and this is not me disparaging you by any means you are two guys in an, in separate offices in two separate countries that you don't have a giant design studio behind you yeah. you don't have I the corporate no. resources to get the photography to look like the big boys is that, is i can't understate or overstate what an accomplishment that is
1: thanks Brad. And that's it's a tick uh, box now so
2: flattering. one day we took um one day I took 1,600 photos in a day um, <laughs> to be able to put together. That was that was a, like a nine-hour day doing photos for a certain certain thing. I mean, obviously you don't use them all in the book, um, but that's a that's a massive thing. But we've we've got that now. We know it, and we can tick that box. And also working with the printers too. Um, you know that was that was tricky. Uh, a lot of the time, they have their own weirdo things that they that you have to work with, and sometimes that doesn't sort of match in necessarily with what you would like them to be. Um, but we've ironed out those, we ironed those out, and we got you know we got a good result. And so now going forward for the next book, that's a tick as well. And we don't ever have to worry about those things again, thankfully. Um, so yeah, On what I will say that about it.
1: that though? I think Rex is that um, you know we've 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 got a very personalised sort of presentation there. Um, so the the, the printers were happy to work with us but they just hadn't come up with things before for instance we've used every available page in this book the inside of the front cover's got a copy mm-hmm. of the map an important map of the the area um in general in color and then we've we've used the uh the back cover for um some credits and stuff like that and that's something that the you know the printers sort of really hadn't seen seen before either so we've we've uh we've really tried to personalize and, and make it characterful to ourselves, and that utilization of things is some of the stuff they didn't really expect before. And I think it's some of our sort of crowning achievements there to, to create this uh, boutique sort of looking book. I think that um, that, mm-hmm. that people see, are telling us are really enjoying and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really glad that, you know, for them in return for them backing us or purchasing a book of us, they got something that they're really happy with.
0: Yeah, they definitely got their money's worth. That is for sure. Um, well, guys, if someone missed the Kickstarter campaign, can they buy this now? And is it at ValhallaGames.net?
2: Yes. So if you go to ValhallaGames.net, um, at the top of the page there, there should be a link to our to our sub site, I guess. But you can just go to ValhallaGames.net forward slash store, and uh, and we only we have two products: the book or two books. Double up with a friend and save on freight that's it. Um, and easy to buy, pay by PayPal. And, uh, and we've got stock, but, uh, but not a lot of stock. Uh, we've almost completely run out and we're waiting for a second shipment to arrive. Um, we've had to do a reprint. So yeah, that's, that's good too. That's I mean, that's a, great a huge accomplishment,
0: have. right? To sell through your first <laughs> run and to order a second one. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, really is a, a proud achievement. Um, and and a really good problem to have, and yeah, just thanks everybody who continues to support the book and spread the good words, um, and tell all their friends. And and you know we've we've sold lots of after the Kickstarter, and we're very happy to bring them out.
2: So that's probably a good segue, Brad. Uh, perhaps into um, into an opportunity to buy the book, and that Dan and I, Dan's winging his way to uh, to Australia to mm-hmm. go to Moab, um, which is by the time this releases it's only a few days away and um mm-hmm. Dan and i have uh, we're booked we've packed we've uh, we've paid um and we're taking a stack of books down there and uh, we're going to be selling them uh thankfully war and peace games who anybody who's from australia should absolutely know war and peace games mm-hmm. they're fantastic guys they do great stuff for, in terms of sponsoring events um australia wide um, so you need to get on down to their uh, to their stand and have a look for your not only your bold action stuff, but any wargaming stuff that you want to buy when you're there. Um but you can also pick up our book for zero freight, of course. um and we're actually going to be doing it uh, uh, for fifty Australian dollars even, so that's even a little bit off the uh, the price uh, retail price buying it direct from us. So thanks Great. very much to Ian and Sean for that. Um tell them we sent you. And, um, and uh, get your, get your Wargaming goods there. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, they are proud supporters of all the big Melbourne events as well. Um, literally, we just recorded an episode talking about the upcoming Operation Bear and Jump to Action. And, of course, War and Peace Games supported both of those events extensively. And, uh, again, I, I can't imagine uh, the Australian bolt action scene doing what it does without all the support from those guys. Um, because they work so hard to work with tournament organizers and to help uh, those of us trying to build the community to really have the tools and the prizes sometimes to make that happen. So, again, War and Peace Games, if you're looking for anything in Australia, ladies and gentlemen, please go. Uh, Or New Zealand, via the website. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry. I'm very
2: uh, subsidized. They even have subsidized freight, so... Yeah. What's not the like?
1: Exactly. Yeah, very good. And them selling a, our book at Moab is uh, invaluable to us because, of course, it lets us um, take part in the games and meet more people.
0: Well, gentlemen, let's shift gears and let's talk Moab because this is an event that, unfortunately, I was going to and then, unfortunately, had to pull out of um, due to uh, some housing issues I'm pulling up a lot of carpet, unfortunately, during my school holidays, and it has eaten my life. However, um, (laughs) with Moab, it is a really interesting event. It is, I believe, the first big Australian event sponsored directly by Warlord Games. It is more competitively leaned than a lot of events we've seen in Australia in the past. And they're countering that by keeping the point value low to about 900. It allows for armored platoons, which is something you usually don't see. And they're allowing Korean lists as well for those of us who like to play bolt action Korea. There is a lot in there and it is a really exciting event because of that. I was excited to go just because I really, really wanted to try out those different parameters. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see what people put on the tabletop. Now you two gentlemen are going and I'm jealous and sad that I'm not going to get a chance (laughs) to hang out with you in person, but you graciously said that we could go through your list and talk a little bit about the preparation that you've put in uh, to get ready for Moab this year. First of all, Rex, let's start with you. What is it that got you excited about going to Moab this year? And then roll into what led
2: you to take Soviets. So I've been uh, so Moab's been on hold for a couple of years due to COVID, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of events. And so it's fantastic to have it uh to have it back. But the last few times that I've been, um just the guys there have been, I mean, it it is a it is a gaming weekend like other games are available but of course uh you know bold action is the best game in the world uh according to us but um but yeah so the the Mm -hmm. guys that we've played with have just always been so friendly and and when dan when i was getting into bold action you know a couple of roll some dice didn't really have much of an idea what was going on um People would very quickly switch into a supportive mode and, and kind of, rather than trying to thrash you to death, they'd, they'd say, "Oh, are you mm-hmm. sure you want to move?" It? And you know, it's just so nice. I mean, I remember last time I went, which is must be two years ago. Um, I brought along a uh, a list with a inexperienced mortar and a uh, and a spotter, right? Oh, so I don't know how I managed to get that list going. <laughs> but the, the, the mm-hmm. bloke that I the bloke that I play with, very very nice guy, said just just very quietly, say, "Are you sure you can take an, a, a spotter with an inexperienced mortar?" Well, I don't know. Let me have a look at my book, and sure enough, I, I couldn't. But there was nope. no animosity or problem or anything. He was just uh, he was yeah. just helping me out, and um and so just the the fact that you can come along as a new person, um to the game, which obviously we're not now but back then and just have a friendly game um, and obviously at the at the top table um, they're uh, they, they're going hard as well um, so you've got mm-hmm. you've got absolutely everything what's not to uh, what's not to like and I, I took my son along a couple of times as well and you know he he would just wander through and buy a few d20s and and, and enjoy some painting and um, it's just a it's a really nice all-round um, all-round sort of Gaming weekend, so that was so that was that's that's my that's why I'm my. In so in terms of my list, Soviets. in terms of my list, so with chalk and cheese, I'll be chalk. Dan can be cheese, but mm-hmm. um, so, so I'm the oh, guy right, that okay. um, that uh that kind of the day that the list was due, thought well gosh i better do something about it i've kind of i've kind of thought about it a little bit leading up to this but i should actually probably put together a list and uh, and i got it submitted at uh 11:55 p.m. um so i had a good 5 minutes to spare so as, <laughs> as a tournament organizer you're that guy i'm just saying i'm that guy yes yep. you are that guy but, but uh you know dan's uh dan's, dan's dan normally beats me let me just let me just leave it at that um, Dan's Dan, Dan plays pretty hard and he's played a lot of game Systems and been playing a long time. Um, but I just, uh, I'm the guy that's got the biggest smile. I mean, I'm the guy, I don't care if I'm, if I'm wooden spoon or somewhere in the middle or, or doing well, I'm the guy that's just, just, just having fun. And, uh, and that's my list. That's what I brought along. I brought along my Soviet list. There's, there's plenty of dice in there being a good Soviet player. Um, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I, I bought along a, a a T28, which is, which is always good for those four MMGs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll, uh, that'll, that'll light some people up. That's how to make friends and influence mass. people. Mm-hmm. But, um, I also bought along, um, a Strathbat squad, uh, my Soviet yeah. list. Um, so, uh, and I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to upgrade them to, uh, to shirkers and make them roll, extra every time i wanted to give them an order but i just love the idea of it i just love the idea of my guys like from um uh that movie that movie with George uh jude law uh, Behind, enemy, uh, the Gate. enemy of the Gates. enemy of the gates Yeah. yep so one man one man gets the rifle the next man gets the bullets when the first man mm-hmm. falls the second man picks up the rifle i just love that so i've got a, i got a squad of guys 12 guys and uh, there's only four rifles um, and they've been they've been upgraded, or should I say downgraded, um, mm-hmm. so that they're shirkers. And uh, and every time I need to to give them an order, they either get an extra pin, um, pin marker on them, or even if they don't have any pin markers, they still have to take an aura chest. And when they get rolled over by someone, or they run away, I'm gonna be just laughing. Yeah,
0: especially after the most recent FAQ. And yes, well,
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Let's let's actually talk through the list specifically so people know what we're talking about here. We have got a senior regular lieutenant, first lieutenant. We've got a decked out NKVD squad, which is something you don't hear too often. And that is a 10-man submachine gun squad with fanatics. Oof.
2: We have a yeah, seven-man rifle... Whoop, That's quite seven. nasty that the fanatics, uh, the fanatics and the SMGs, um, mm-hmm. some of that uh, Eastern front uh, close combat, uh, nasty Soviet action. So looking forward to that. You're the only other person I've seen who's run that
0: NKVD squad. And I assure you, it is wonderful. Uh, I love it. I had an NKVD army at one point and. Ouch. Um, you have a seven man inexperienced green unit. You've got the commissar. You've got six tank riders with SMGs. You've got an LMG squad with five guys. And then two LMGs is regular. So it's one of those objective sitters with two LMGs to kick out the shots. As you said, you've got the straf bat, which is 12 dudes, seven of whom are unarmed. You've got your free (laughs) Soviet squad, like the good Soviet player that you are. Um, which has the free flag upgrade as per Ostfront. Uh, you also have a medium mortar, a sniper team, a flamethrower. You got the, T- the upgraded T-28. And by upgraded, I mean it's got the proper Pentel and rear machine gun now as of the FAQ. And you've got the truck, which I'm assuming is carrying the NKVD.
2: Yes. That's yes. why there's only ten NKVD Guilty. guys, so I can uh, I can fit them mm-hmm. in there, and then the uh, the Flames Thrower squad uh, just for that close uh, close combat uh, little little bit of love
0: to toast some marshmallows and some weenies, so to say. Now this is if if you are listening to this and thinking that sounds a little bit hard for Australia, keeping in mind Moab is intentionally harder than the average tournament this year much harder than it has in previous years. Um, they said, I forget the exact phrase, it's not bring out the filth, but it's something along the lines of
1: bring your the best foot
0: forward. Yeah, have a go. Yeah, bring out the cheese. That said, they're not letting just <laughs> anything through. And I did send through a list at one point when I thought I was going, uh, and I had a good conversation with the TOs. They were incredibly helpful because I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like, given that that's not what we've seen in Australia before, but the player pack is very clear, and then just having a quick chat with the tos was super illuminating, and I was really happy with the list that I turned in. I unfortunately just never got to the event, but it's I bought the shame, model. Right, it's, it's shine, right there. Yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, I'm sure you yeah, would so love a- seeing my Indian carrier list uh, come back to life,
1: um, 2.0. Ooh, but I feel your pain. So it's a hard yeah. list for
2: sure Brad but uh, you got to remember that the uh the, the general could be a bumbling idiot you just you just don't know <laughs> But here's
0: the thing it's all about what's being brought to the to the event in general If you're running a competitive event this is a perfect list If you were submitting this to jump to action which is a very casual beginning event this wouldn't be let in the door again, you're you're fitting the context of the event. and th- I'm not saying there's one is right and one is wrong. You just need to, you know, when you are a player, you need to read your player pack and you need to list appropriately. And you have done that in spades. I would love to face this army uh, across the tabletop. You know, if I had been at this event, it looks perfect to me. i I get how it works, I think. I'm sure there's some little things in there I don't get, but it definitely has the teeth. It has the guys. It has everything you need to win games and have a good time. And as long as your opponent is doing the same thing, it's great. I love it. It's good, man.
1: Thanks, Brad. I think the, uh, I think the To's done a really good job of setting up the stall as the the right says, And as all three of us here clearly understand um, just from the conversation we had clearly what type of tournament it is. And therefore, because they've had such clarity, um, I think this is a tougher list than I've ever seen you take before Rex, because you know, from the brief, what the tournament is going to be. And you don't want to get th- absolutely thumped, um, like my list. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to get absolutely thumped. You want to take something that's going to give you a chance to enjoy your day to its fullest by being competitive. Yeah.
2: I remember okay. the first time we went to Moab, Dan, we'd never actually been to a bold action tournament before. And uh, we'd been listening to various podcasts from around the world and which tr- had no idea about the meta.
1: Like cast ice.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe not cast <laughs> ice. We don't. Nobody listens to cast ice. But, nope, um, nope. no um but no so we had no idea really what the meta was and we came along we it was like well are you going to take a dual platoon you know because we could you know take a couple of tanks that'd be nice 1200 points or whatever it was um we're like no that's too cheesy i wouldn't i wouldn't do that at a tournament and then we came along and was like oh my gosh look at what people have brought everybody's a dual <laughs> platoon Every, we
1: like we didn't know were, what had happened to us so there yeah. were many people whose theme was good stuff
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I remember my very first MOAB a million years ago. I went the other way because I'd been playing. It was in the days of the LRDG podcast. I had spent uh, a lot of time in what I would call a closed circuit arms race with the other guys on the podcast. And we constantly tried to one-up each other army list wise. We'd all come from 40K and Warhammer fantasy backgrounds. And, you know, it was that listing to beat the next list, to beat the next list, to beat the next list. But I turned in an army list for Moab and the, and the TO said, are you sure you want to turn this in? And I went, yeah, I guess. Is it wrong? And he went, no, it's just a lot harder than what you, we were expecting. And I went, oh God. And I, I toned it way back and I turned it in and I showed up on the day and I was still probably, I still had one of the roughest lists there. And I was going, Oh God, I'm the guy who showed up with a flame tank in version one. Oh no, what are they doing? <laughs> uh,
2: now you got me because- worried, Brad. Yeah. I haven't had this list. I haven't had this list approved yet, by the way, at time of recording. We'll see. Ooh, uh yeah.
0: I can't imagine this would get knocked back given what I turned in and what got approved. This looks entirely sensible given the context of the event. I think it's perfect. So yeah. And I look forward to hearing how you go with it. Please do let me know because you've got some fun toys in there that, mm mm-hmm, T-28s, big fan. Although I usually take the unreliable fin ones that have fewer guns. So the Soviet version of this is (laughs)
2: scary. But it's tasty. And cheap too. Yeah. And then, all right, so that was the chalk. Now the cheese. So you look at Dan. Dan has put months of effort into every... Every facet of his list, by the sounds of a thing. He's even got a historical bent that he had to clear oh, specifically with the T.O.s. So let us have it, Dan. So hold on. Before Dan does that, let me quickly run through the list
0: so we can talk context. So we've got, again, a first lieutenant, veteran. Everything's – well, not everything, but most things are veteran. We got a six-man um paratrooper, British paratrooper squad. We've got another six-man British paratrooper squad, the Free Observer, another uh, six-man paratrooper squad. Um, All of these have five SMGs and then the NCO with an SMG and one rifle. Um, Two more of those, so a total of, if I'm doing my math right, we have five squads of six paratroopers, five SMGs, one rifle, the National Characteristics of Vengeance, We've got a veteran medium mortar. We've got a British airborne recce Jeep, the one with the MMG, the one that no one likes. Sorry. Um, plus we have <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, six veteran Jeeps without MMGs and a little something, something that Dan's going to throw in. So Dan yeah. talked to us about this, that being an A, a German AA truck half track truck
1: that's right so Brad my list is entirely thematic and entirely probably not up to the standard required of this tournament uh, my theme is stuff I'd like to paint around <laughs> the uh, British 6th airborne division Ricky. so uh, in Normandy so um so yeah so on the screen you can see a captured SDK of z 10 slash4. The um the very small uh, half track, Demag half track, um with a uh uh thirty eight a uh, Flak thirty eight on the top, and you can see in that picture it's actually been captured by British airborne recce mm-hmm. troops, and uh, they used it to great effect in Normandy, um and they shot down a couple of planes with it as well, so that yeah. has been yeah. included in my army list um with the okay of uh, Ian and Adrian, their TOS. Um, as a as a captured vehicle at an experienced level and that's about as good as it gets because um, my have uh, the the, the uh, restrictions of the tournament are that you can't um, have an actual theater selector um, but you can try and replicate the theater selector from what's available in a generic platoon, generic platoon so i uh, opened up the uh, market garden um, campaign book by uh by Warlords and uh, the first airborne recce troops in there. Um, so I couldn't, because I'm using a generic selector, use uh, the six um, recce jeeps that uh, there's that allowed mm-hmm. in there. However, so I've got uh, my, six, um, my six paratrooper squads um, and I've had it okayed to use the optional uh, squad split over two transports rule. So they all split over two Jeeps, uh, three of those squads split over two Jeeps each, hence the, the three Jeeps, sorry, the six Jeeps. Um, because they're British Airborne, uh, I don't care what the generic sector says, but uh, they should be veteran. Um, pay, I'll pay that, enforce that tax on myself because that's the way it should be. Um, uh, I've got the, uh, the Airborne um, uh, Ford Artillery Officer in there, the free one. Um, at regular, of course, the only available one. Everything else is is a, is a veteran. Um, so, yeah, so I've taxed myself in there. And, yeah, I've just really tried to create uh, that six airborne recce troop um, with that captured vehicle, really thematic. Um, I am not going to get a chance to even play with it before the tournament, except if I manage to fit in the game with Rex uh, the few days mm-hmm. before I get there. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, yeah, it's just all been about what I can get on the table, really. And um, I was uh, very fortunate to uh, um, win the the, uh, the Rubicon sort of a Facebook page header um, that got me uh, part of the or the actual uh, flake 38 to go on top of this uh, on top of my um, SDK of Z10 uh, mm-hmm. moving it the right way that I had purchased. So uh, yeah, Rubicon, uh, nice to give me that as uh, as my prize for winning that uh, with a photograph. That was lovely photograph that Rex had taken. <laughs> Thanks, Rex. Um, so I carry away the free models. Rex just puts the effort in for the photograph. <laughs> Brotherly well, love, Rex.
2: Took, I think it probably took you longer to paint it than what it did for me to <laughs> photograph it. But I, I like I like your idea, Dan. So is your theory on on list building? Um, if I can find a photograph of it, if one existed in the war anytime between 1939 and 1945, then, then I can take it in my list. Is that your theory?
1: Um, that's right. I tried to include a uh, German infantry squad that were doing the uh, NC Hammer Dance on the ice, that famous meme photograph, but uh, yeah. that wasn't a troop selection, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Fair enough. <laughs> love, it, love it
1: um but yeah no i really wanted to include this um this is actually the reason why i've got it in there it would are putting more sensible um gameplay wise to include the polston cannon um, which is uh obviously it's also a light auto cannon as well but being able to take it at veteran i wouldn't have a, a built-in uh, minus to hit um and it uh, would have been harder to kill but uh i just really wanted to get this vehicle on the table and just highlight a little piece of history for people really
0: yeah now when you're using the looted rules for this is that is that using the unreliable rule or are you just taking it as inexperienced is it using the rules out of the partisan list I think is what I'm asking
1: Um so I've just been told it has to be inexperienced so that that's good it makes it a little yep. less uh, <laughs> fragile Mhm <laughs> Uh, and hopefully, yeah. uh, being a half track, it might be, and everything else is wheeled or on foot. It'll probably be the one thing that can maneuver into position over some hedges that you inevitably find at a tournament, just breaking line of sight, and then we'll promptly miss. But, uh, but that's <laughs> the theory behind it.
0: Sorry, I'm looking forward to seeing how both of these armies go, uh, and Moab in general. This is a really exciting event, and I know that they've just recently opened up. Last week, I believe they opened up more spots. So now even yeah. more people can play. And, uh, I did take a long, hard longing look at the work I had to do in my house and then at <laughs> plane tickets and said, I just, I sadly can't do it. But, uh, well, those,
1: it, those viewers of the, uh, of the video format and, uh, sorry, Bray, we're breaking a rule about not doing anything on video that wouldn't be on podcast, but those podcast viewers at home can see my, um, my peppered, uh, stubble beard that I've grown here and um, it's because I haven't actually um there we go George Clooney eats your heart out um those of you who are wondering why because I'm normally clean shaven especially for my mm-hmm. job is because I've got a uh and if I can balance delicately balance this it's because mm-hmm. I've got a whole tray of there we go mm-hmm. the fall off for me of uh airborne jeeps to paint up so um there's been no things like sleeping washing shaving nothing like that you know just fit in the whole army basically uh painted before i go it's tradition yes Why be relaxed in the build-up to the tournament right
0: that's right uh now rex have you painted you because you're that guy who turns in your list 10 minutes before five minutes before it's due how close well, are you got, be? i got
2: i got big i'm a bit like you brad i've got big work big actual real life stuff on at the moment work commitments and all kinds of things going on so that's why i didn't um didn't just decide to have a whole new army. I've, I've recycled some of the stuff that I've got before. I um, 3D printed uh, some some new models and that. But um, uh, after I submitted it, because I only had five minutes to spare and I was worried the internet was going to drop out or something, as you know, as, as you do, Murphy's law. But um, <laughs> I actually went through and did up did a bit of a model count, and I realised that in fact, uh, contrary to what Stalin said, um, we do not have more men than they have bullets. And in fact, I have to paint up two squads in oh, a week no. and a half. So, and I'm Good a luck. slow painter. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> you, you and me both, very slow. So, so uh, yeah, I'm a bit worried about that. I'll start that anytime soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, winter service—they're not too bad.
1: Yep. Well, I've only got six airborne Jeeps and an SDK of Z10-4 slash to paint, so, yeah, what could go wrong, right?
2: I'll tell you it what could go wrong, mode. Dan, and I've remembered it from the first time you told me. Do not, do not, at the last minute, on the night before, reach for the clear coat and accidentally spray them with Brac Citadel Primer. Do not do that.
1: Don't do that at home, everybody, because yeah. that is sad. Oh, that is, yeah.
0: Oh, I did that with terrain uh, over Christmas, except it was with uh, Wraithbone, and uh, oh. I just yeah was not happy about that. But thank God it was just a house, and I hadn't glued the roof on, so I just had to paint oh. some shutters and a door, and I was fine. But oh. yeah, my wife thought I died or something horrible had happened because I may have been using some colorful language <laughs> outside our house at a very loud volume. But anyway, Dan, Rex, thank you so much for coming on. Valhalla Games is just kicking it, kicking the goals when it comes to Primusol Bridge. And I can't wait to see what you guys come come with moving forward. Um, Thank you again for coming on. And thank you for the kind words in the back of your book about cast ice. But more to the point, thank you for creating this wonderful book and I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you very much for coming on today, guys.
2: Thanks, Brad. Good to talk to you as always. And uh, definitely we'll have to catch up uh, and roll some dice at some stage soon. Count on it, man. Hey, I hear Melbourne's
0: a great place to visit. I'm just saying.
2: I hear that.
1: Sounds mm. uh, sounds good, Brad. And I heard there's a pucker out your way and there's plenty to see out that way too. There is. But, um,
0: I have not been to the tank museum <laughs> out here yet. Yet is the word in that sentence, ladies and gentlemen. Now my wife wants to go, and I'll leave that story for another day. But we are going to go, and we'll be soon. But yes, come to town. We can go. I hear it's not too far. uh
1: yeah that sounds good um one day definitely would love to come and uh, pl- roll some dice with you and uh, my friend tony and uh and harry turner's um awesome photographs of the uh Ar- armor museum up in cairns i think have inspired me to maybe get up there as well so i haven't oh, yeah. been, i haven't even broached that to rex yet but um
2: <laughs> no, I'd, I'd love to that just that just sounds fantastic just yeah. fly up there and Mind you, um, I saw the uh, I saw the receipt for your flight from New Zealand, Dan. Um, that wasn't that wasn't too happy. Um, I'll uh, you might have to save your bickies before you can come across it again.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that wasn't my intent. I sent you the wrong thing, actually. Sorry about that. But um, uh, Brad, honestly, as a stalwart of the uh, community and um, uh, someone that during the three years of preparing this book for our community, too, you know, you kept uh, one of just one of the people in the community um actor, there's so many other guys over there that um have really been keeping the uh community pumping throughout COVID and lockdown and stuff like that just as one part of this community that we're happy to bring our book to and we're so pleased and proud that the people um have enjoyed it and uh thank you so much everyone thanks for helping us bring this book to you and we're looking forward to bringing the next one to you
0: absolutely well guys Thank you for listening to Cast Dice. If you have any questions or any requests for a future episode, please go to the Cast Dice Facebook page. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Please message if you have anything you would like to hear. I've heard a lot of requests for Bolt Action, so I will be putting out a lot of Bolt Action content in the weeks to come. However, there is plenty of other games in there as well. And I've had a few special requests that are going to take me a little time to put together, but fear not, those are coming. When I start alluding to weird podcast topics that nobody knows anything about but me, it's probably time to call it a night. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. (laughs) I don't know.